0: Chapter 7. Polishing the Shell, Monk's Training Abandoning the dark way, let the wise cultivate the bright path. Having gone from home to homelessness, let them yearn for that delight in detachment so difficult to enjoy. Giving up sensual pleasures with no attachment, let the wise cleanse themselves of defilements of mind. Dhammapada, verses 87 and 88 Part 1 Introduction The following thought is said to have arisen in the mind of the Buddha and many of his disciples, leading them to seek a spiritual life. Household life is cramped and dusty. Life gone forth is wide open. It is difficult for a householder to lead the holy life as completely pure as a polished conch shell. Suppose I shave off my hair and beard, put on the yellow robe, and go forth from the home life into homelessness. Majjhima Nikaya, Sutta 112 And in the Anguttara Nikaya 10, Sutta 48, the Buddha gives a list of reflections for the monks to frequently consider. Monks, there are ten numbers which should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. What are these ten? I am no longer living according to worldly aims and values. This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. My very life is sustained through the gifts of others. This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. I should strive to abandon my former habits. This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. Does regret over my conduct arise in my mind? This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. Could my spiritual companions find fault with my conduct? This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. I am the owner of my kamma, heir to my kamma, born of my kamma, related to my kamma, abide supported by my kamma. Whatever kamma I shall do, for good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. The days and nights are relentlessly passing. How well am I spending my time? This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. Do I delight in solitude or not? This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. Has my practice borne fruit, with freedom or insight, so that at the end of my life I need not feel ashamed when questioned by my spiritual companions. This should be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. Monks, these are the ten Dhammas to be reflected upon again and again by one who has gone forth. Luang Por Cha chose to live his life as a Buddhist monk. He received permission from his parents to enter a monastery at the age of nine, and apart from a brief period in his teens, he lived in monastic communities until his death at the age of 74. The Sangha was his family, and as a teacher, its welfare was his main preoccupation. While he gave considerable importance to propagating the Dhamma in society at large, he did so only to the extent that, that it did not compromise his training of the monks and nuns in his monastery. Luang considered that the longevity and good health of Buddhism in a society was ultimately decided by the quality of the monastic order. He spent much of his life providing a training for monastics that was intended to be true to the ancient principles, but that would, at the same time, also enable the Sangha to thrive in a Thailand that was rapidly changing. Perhaps most crucially, he sought to create a Sangha that was not overly tied to him as an individual, but would still be able to thrive in his eventual absence. When Luang Por established Wat Ba Pong in 1954, there were few precedents for him to draw upon, no clear-cut forest monastery template passed down by his teachers to conform to. Scarcely a decade had passed since Lung Pu Man himself, the father of the tradition, had first spent two consecutive rains retreats in the same monastery. Nevertheless, it seems evident that Lung Po had been preparing for this new development in his life for some time, closely observing the way things were done in every monastery he practiced in during his Tudong years. He began with great confidence, establishing a monastery broadly based upon Lung Pu Man's monastery at Nonghu, but also introducing certain adaptations inspired by practices he had seen elsewhere and others from his own ideas. From the beginning, he showed a willingness to learn from experience and discard what did not work. Chaff from the Grain One of the distinctive features of the Wat Bapong training was the unusually long time, in some periods almost two years, that aspirants lived in the monastery, first as postulants, and then as novices before taking full ordination. This was a radically different approach to that found in the village and city monasteries. Screening applicants for admission into the Sangha, and requiring them to spend a probationary period as postulants, may seem to be a matter of common sense, but it was virtually unknown at the time. In most monasteries, applicants could expect to be wearing a monk's robes within days of walking through the gate, a custom that contributed significantly to low standards throughout the monastic order. A probationary period served to make ordination seem more valuable. Lung Po expressed his view on the matter in a characteristically succinct phrase, easy to ordain, easy to disrobe. Difficult to ordain, difficult to disrobe. At Wat Ba Pong, those unsuited for monastic life usually left well before the ceremony of ordination. New people were tested from the first day a freshly arrived applicant for ordination at Wat Ba would spend the first few days in a state of some confusion, receiving little attention and sleeping at night on a rush mat at the back of the Dhamma Hall. A Jan-tieng recalled, Lung Por would leave the newly arrived people alone. He didn't speak to them apart from asking them how they were now and then. Whether they did things right or wrong, he said nothing. He'd just leave them for about a week, or five days, or three days, depending on the circumstance, and then he would speak. I thought it was an excellent method to get an idea of the person's intelligence. Was he aware of what was going on around him? Was he being observant? Or was he foolish, unobservant, or impulsive? Once Lung Po had grasped his weak points, his basic personality then he would start to teach and train him. Ajahn Jandi, one of those who passed through this process with distinction, saw others leave after a few days. Luang Por was unconcerned. His attitude was, whoever wants to come, let them come. Whoever wants to leave, then let them leave. It didn't affect him. I came as a layperson and I was here for around 10 days before anybody said anything to me. The monks and novices didn't speak to me or teach me anything, or ask me to help with anything at all. I thought, why am I being left to my own devices like this? I've just been abandoned. Sometimes I started to feel miserable and considered going home. It seemed from the way that everybody was behaving, that nobody was interested in me. Realizing that the onus was upon him to make the effort to watch those around him closely and copy them in whatever he could, Ajahn Jandi's willingness to learn was noticed, and his life in the monastery soon began to change for the better. After some days the applicant would be told that he could now shave his head, signifying an initial commitment to the abandonment of vanity and the practice of renunciation. He would then formally request the eight precepts and begin wearing the white lower robe and angsa of the postulant. From this point his training would begin. He would join in most of the sangha's communal activities, assist the monks, and start to learn the daily chants. Ajahn continues, I wanted to learn quickly. But Lung Po explained about the training of new people, and it made sense to me. He was quite stern with my group. He said he wasn't going to let us ordain easily. He would train us like soldiers. We had come to be soldiers of the Buddha, and we needed some basic training, like army boot camp. It might take many months or even a year if we weren't any good. For those who badly wanted to ordain, It took the wind out of their sails. In those days he aimed at quality above all. He wasn't bothered by the reactions of the people who came. He wanted to test their faith. The smarter people ordained more quickly because they were fluent, able to do everything in a neat, correct way. Others were there for a year or two, and they still weren't ready. If they could endure, they stayed. If they couldn't, they left. He didn't ever try to persuade anyone to stay. Some people would arrive saying they were tired of the world. They'd had their fill of it. But then, they came up against the monastic regulations, and a single day was enough. By the next morning, they changed their minds and left. Although it was true they came with faith, they lacked wisdom Some didn't even pay respects before they left, they just ran away. Some people stayed a bit longer, shaved their heads, and then left. I know so many people who are unable to endure it. Anyone who expressed desire or showed impatience in Luang presence could expect to pay a price. If a new member of the community wanted to ordain as soon as possible, the worst thing that he could do would be to request a date from Lung Po, or, almost unthinkable except perhaps for one of the Westerners, to pester him. The question, Luang Po, when will I be ordained, would be either completely ignored or dismissed with a don't bother or it's not really necessary, just carry on as you are. Only when Lung Po saw that the eager aspirant was at peace with whatever his teacher decided did he arrange for an ordination. One of the most valuable phrases a new member of the community could learn at Wat Ba Pong was It's up to you, Lung Po. It meant that he trusted Lung Po's judgment and could be patient for however long it took. Going forth Novice ordination has traditionally been the de facto option for males below the age of 20, with men of 20 years or above taking full monk ordination without becoming novices first. Luang was unusual in that for a number of years, he required men of all ages to spend a period of months as a novice before becoming monks. It gave aspirants for monkhood the chance to develop a feel for Sangha life with many of the trappings of life as a monk, but without the immediate pressure of having to conform to a large, complex body of training rules. Eventually, he relaxed this practice somewhat, but retained it for Westerners and elderly men, who benefited from this gentle introduction to Sangha life. The novice ordination ceremony, known as Bambaja, which literally means going forth, is a short one. The aspirant receives robes from the teacher, makes his formal request to go forth, receives the ten precepts from the teacher, and then recites the list of the five basic meditation topics. Hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. On one such going-forth ceremony, Luang Por gave the following instruction. The only reason that I make it so difficult for all of you to enter the Sangha here is that I want things to be done well. Taking the time is the proof of your commitment. Some people want to become monks, but when they find out that it takes a long time, they change their minds. Some bear with it, some leave and seek to become monks elsewhere. I have no objections to that, but what I have always insisted upon is that becoming a monk is not taken lightly. As postulants, you've trained and prepared yourselves to become a monk. You've lived with the monks, learned how to offer things to them correctly, learnt about the monk's life, become acquainted with it. You've practiced sewing and dyeing cloth, looking after robes and bowls. You've seen how the monks practice with regard to robes, arms round, dwelling places, medicines. Now you must be willing to conduct yourselves in the same way. This is the foundation. Now that you've learnt the basics, you can become a novice. I will give you a bowl and tomorrow morning you will put on your robes neatly, and walk for alms in the village. Tomorrow, the villagers will put fresh cooked rice into your bowl. They will pay their respects to you. Why will these old people with grey hair hold their hands up in respect to you? Because of the power of the ochre robe. This ochre robe belongs to the Buddha. It has an incomparable power. If you use it in the wrong way, you will degrade yourselves. There are a great number of Dhamma teachings to learn, but today, on the day of novice ordination, there are just a few. Following the tradition handed down from the great teachers of old, today, we study the five meditation objects, hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin. When you first hear the list, it may sound a bit comical, but if you contemplate these five things well, it will become really profound. We are born with these things, but we don't know them. It's necessary to learn these five fundamental meditation objects as the entrance to the path that leads directly to Nibbāna. Herein lies right view. We are taught to learn these five basic meditation objects and then reflect on them. Repeat after me in the scriptural language. Gesa, Loma, Nakha, Thanta, Tacho, jo, Tanta Nakha. Loma, Gesa. Some people say that everyone has these things. They know what they are already. Why study them? But they don't really know what they are. They don't know the true nature of head hair, of body hair, of nails, of teeth, or of skin. Hair of the head is in fact repulsive. Where does it come from? It feeds on pus. The others are the same. These things are not glowing with health, are they? They're not delightful. But we don't really see that. It's the flawed parts that people beautify, the unattractive parts. It's because of their great dirtiness that people pretty them up. Is there really anything beautiful about head hair? No, there isn't. Is it clean? There's nothing clean about it. If you heaped up a pile of hair and left it by the side of the road, would anyone pick it up? Take off your skin. Put it by the side of the road. And then tomorrow, on arms round, see if anyone has gone off with it yet. We don't see these things in their true light. Now that you are novices, pay attention to them. Head hair is not beautiful. Body hair is not beautiful. Nails are not beautiful. Teeth are not beautiful. Skin is not beautiful. But people cover them with powders and creams and so on to make them seem beautiful. And so we're deluded and don't see the truth of things. It's like the fish that swallows the hook. Have you seen that? Actually, the fish doesn't intend to eat the hook. It's the bait that it swallows. If it saw the hook, the fish wouldn't eat the bait. It swallows the bait because it doesn't know what it's doing. It's the same for all of us. If you were to see these things in their true light, You wouldn't want them. Why would you choose to burden yourselves with things like that? But it's like the fish, once the hook is in its mouth, however much the fish wants to get it out, it can't. It's snagged. If you contemplate these five parts of the body over and over again and see them clearly, your mind will be at ease. Keep contemplating. Don't be heedless. Study these meditation objects and fear them like hooks. If you don't feel any fear towards them, it's because you don't know them. Once you're ordained, then be obedient. Follow the teacher's advice and instruction. Be respectful. Put yourself in awe of the Buddha and the training rules that he laid down you must try your utmost to bring up a sense of fear and awe, a wise fear of wrongdoing and bad gamma, a fear of breaking the Buddha's laws. If you constantly reflect in this way, you will live peacefully, happy and heedful. Now I will present you with your robe, this ochre-dyed robe that is the victory banner of the Arahants. Go outside and put on the lower and upper robes. Put them on beautifully, evenly all the way round.